Welcome back to The Faith Awakens. We have a very exciting guest today, but first let me introduce myself. Uh, Megan, I'm already beefing this, guys. This is my (laughs) second time announcing it, and I'm already beefing it, okay? Um, I'm your host, Megan Grady, student, soon to be graduate, hopefully. Please don't fail me, TEP, if you're listening. Um, uh, And I am joined, as always, by my wonderful co-host, also graduating this year in a way. Yes, Father Tom Hennon, <laughs> chaplain here at St. Ambrose, for a little while longer, oh. through the end of June at least. So, mm-hmm. And this is episode 45. This wow. is kind of a big deal. It's fantastic. So we're shooting for 50. We, th- we just need to get five more in after this, and we'll, we'll draw a close, sadly, to the series uh, with uh, 50, so. since Megan's graduating, and I'm moving on to a different assignment. So, and yes, we have a very special guest with us today. Um, we have Dr. Amy Novak, who is our incoming president here at the university. So in, uh, when's your official start date? In August something? August 7th. August 7th. So, well, welcome. And this is uh, the premier um, uh, you know, <laughs> podcast of St. Ambrose University. So we had to get you on right away. Oh, and yes. uh, glad the we premier, could. The premier, the highly rated podcast the most popular podcast. Dave tells us we have a lot of people that listen. Yeah. You do have Dave's a lot of nodding. people that listen. I listened to one and then I saw how many views and I was like wow this yeah. is impressive. Yeah, yeah we're, we're kind of a big thing. Yeah. So. Good for you. <laughs> Alright tone it down there Tom. Jeez Louise. Oh goodness. Get a big head. So I want to know more about you and you know kind of your background and what brought you here and what's exciting to you as you step into this new role and What's scaring you as you step into Jeez, this role, maybe? Yeah. I don't know. All of that. Loaded question. That's a lot. I know. That's a lot. Let's start with, tell us a little bit more about your Sure. Let's absolutely. Um, so I'm originally from South Dakota and uh, met my husband at the University of Notre Dame. And uh, we were married right after we graduated. And uh, one of the stories I always like to tell is when he asked me to marry him, which was... Um, during my senior year, the fall of my senior year, we hadn't been dating that long. He was actually considering the priesthood. Mm-hmm. I had actually <laughs> written his parents and said to him, he's going to be a fabulous priest someday. You need to honor that vocational choice. And the wow. month later, he asked me to marry him. And so when he did, I said to him, um, you know, absolutely. But I didn't say yes. I just said absolutely. So when I called his parents, and he called his parents, he said, well, I asked Amy to marry me. And there was this collective sigh of relief on the phone, like, oh, thank God he's not going to be a priest, which I felt (laughs) terrible about. (laughs) Largely because his parents were delightful Catholics, but Mm -hmm. his dad was deeply worried, like, they're they're very traditional, Mm -hmm. and had these really boisterous um, Czech personalities. Mm -hmm. And... His dad was always concerned about how he was going to eat as a priest, which tells you a little huh. bit about the dynamic in the family, like what mom did and what dad struggle. did, you know. It's and he said, who's going <laughs> to feed you? You know, like, oh, like, this is the most concerning thing we have about the vocational choice oh, of our goodness. child. Right? Anyway, so he called them and he said, I'm not, um, she didn't say yes. And they're kind of a joking sort of family. And his dad said, well, Kenny, where are you? And He's, this is his first trip to South Dakota, and as his parents describe it, he thinks we're in the middle of nowhere, which was kind of true. We were in the Badlands. And anyway, his, his mom kept trying to get a word in edgewise, which was rather unsuccessful. And finally she said, Lottie, be quiet. Kenny, what did she say? And Ken said, she said, absolutely. 
And so it's sort of in a life of absolutely's, right? So we got married, we went, um, we lived in 10 other locations. Wow. He was in the military. Um, in that course of that time, we were blessed to um, adopt two children from South Africa. We lived in Canada. We were overseas in Germany. Mm. We have eight children now. Wow. I worked in probably six different professional occupations before I landed in higher education. Wow. Everything from at one point working in commodities to working in the technology sector. I worked at a center for mentally ill women, mm. taught new immigrants, worked in a community college setting. So just lots yeah. of different things. Um, a good liberal arts graduate, yeah. I guess one might say. Yeah. And um, so our life has been about risk taking and a lot of absolutely's and discovering the beauty of what happens when you do that. Yeah. So wow, that's yeah. an awesome story. So that's sort of the journey. Um, and then quite honestly, he was, um, he suffered some pretty significant medical issues in the military while we were over in Germany. He was medevac back to the States. I had all these kids, so I came back to South Dakota and sort of went home to my parents to sort of regroup. Mm -hmm. And I'd been out of the country for some time, so didn't quite have the same career and professional network. And so I thought, well, I could be a grant writer. I'm a decent writer. I could be a grant writer for this small college in my hometown for just a little while until I get myself sort of repositioned and figure out his medical situation. And so um, that was in 2004, and um, 10 years, well, nine years later, I became the president of that university. And it's just been an incredible blessing to work in higher ed, and I can't imagine not being part of the lives of young people and adults who are returning. It's just, this is transforming work, Mm -hmm. and it feels like a deep sense of calling and a sense of ministry to me. So feels really very like a blessed occupation, if you will. So along with eight children, we just see all the other students we interact with as part of our family. And it's just been our wonderful blessing to sort of offer hospitality and reflect what it means to live in community or at Mm -hmm. least try, knowing that I have a lot of diversity among my own eight children. And so I celebrate that in the lives of all the students we interact with as well. Wonderful. When you found that position and then you know, when you found yourself in higher ed, having done all of those different things that you had done before, did you feel like, ah, this, this is what I feel like I'm called to do? Or Yeah, I don't know if it was like right that? away, but um, my work started working with low-income first-generation college students, and it felt um, really rewarding. I mm-hmm. mean, many of these students were the first in their family to attend college, didn't have a mentor at home or someone to really help navigate the college experience with them. And so within several months, I thought, this is really exciting and Mm -hmm. powerful work. And so um, I sort of got hooked pretty Mm -hmm. quickly. Mm -hmm. And then I went on to work in enrollment, and then I became the provost, sort of overseeing all of academics and student life and athletics. But all along, it was really the students Mm -hmm. who continued to motivate the you know the yeah. desire to just stay in this sort of ministry space mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. so um it's just been a really a great opportunity and then you know i've worked now um 18 years at dakota wesleyan and as i sort of looked at the trajectory of my life in the future this past summer um having two children of color in our family in a rural part of the u.s 
just exposed some things for me that I've been aware of, but I, I really saw it through their eyes in a way that I personally had not experienced. And it further motivated what has been a deep passion for both Ken and I, and that's the whole issue of just race and social justice and how do we do better at this. And I think there's a real power in higher ed mm -hmm. to be able to create opportunities for us to understand one another, to be in dialogue, be in connection with one another. Mm -hmm. And when you look at the social justice history of St. Ambrose, and then being able to be in my own faith tradition, I mean, this was just a, it was yeah. like a combination that just was really irresistible. Yeah, it yeah. was, it was. Somebody called me and I just am like, well, I've heard of them, but I had, you know, and then as I started down this path, it was just, it was a sense of calling to the place. And as I came to visit on sort of this, because there had been, uh, a number of candidates and they weren't really doing visits to campus, but I'm a sort of person who has to get a feel oh, yeah. mm -hmm. of the place. So I sort of did this, I don't know, sneak peek <laughs> visit. That's the best spied I can do, spied on you, yes. <laughs> so I'm like, you know, hat on, glasses, my son got yeah. my glasses French on, my mask. Coat. No one's yeah. gonna know where I'm from, but I'm asking really random questions to yeah. people on campus. I did have a few students look at me like, what? Huh. But I, I'm sitting in the chapel and there's this that beautiful picture mm -hmm. by Father Cadditch of the oh, yeah. of the you know yeah. black Jesus and this white Madonna and mm -hmm. I mean as a mother who lives mm -hmm. in that space but just also just that whole lens of a, a universal Christ that's reaching people and we can understand Christ from so many spaces and places mm -hmm. um, there was just a sense of real calling I felt in the chapel and I walked in there just yesterday and I I, I took my husband in and I'm like and he said I I it's just a sense of peace for us in there. There's mm -hmm. a sense that this is where we're meant to be. Mm -hmm. So we're excited. Yeah, That, that was is, really long. No, that, that was cool. like, I was going to ask my next, my next question was going to be like, how did you, you know, end up here yeah. essentially? But you, you answered it. Yeah. I just, there's a, there's a, there's an ethos here. Oh yeah. And there's a long history of commitment, I think, to, to both the social gospel, but also to just the Catholic intellectual tradition. And it's living itself out in the mm -hmm. actions of people, not just in the words. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I value and appreciate that. We've had a similar experience at Dakota Wesleyan, but but it's time to try something new in a new place. Mm -hmm. And so I'm really looking forward to this. Awesome. With your liberal arts background yourself, and then the various jobs that you had over the years before you landed in higher education, how do you feel like that informs uh, how you approach this particular job as president of a Catholic liberal arts university. Sure, and I think this is a, this is the hundred million dollar question to ask all presidents right now, which mm -hmm. is how do we make the liberal arts more, you know, value laden, mm -hmm. if you will, or people can perceive the value of the liberal arts in a more compelling way, and how do we make that value proposition more clear to our mm -hmm. parents and and to the business community, et cetera. So I'm an interesting combo here. Um, I grew up in a really entrepreneurial family. We were starting businesses all the time. Mm -hmm. I lived balance sheets and income statements. I totally understand finances. And yet I have a deep passion for history and philosophy and sociology and literature and theology, you know. Yeah. And so I have always, um, I think there's ways that we can begin to bridge these more intentionally. And one of the things I think that we can do a better job of is really helping people understand we need to create thought leaders. We need to create great thinkers who are also doers. And part of that is on us in higher ed to be able to better explicate the value through the experiences that we foster in those disciplines. 
Um, we've done some interesting work around creating almost what I'd call certifications, for example, in mm -hmm. issues like race and justice, mm -hmm. or poverty and inequality, or you know where where it's linked more thematically to contemporary issues, yeah. and that seems to be helping. Uh, people sort of see the value. So professional communication can pull in an excerpt out of Shakespeare really easily. We can talk about leadership and professional communication, and we can pull in great literature to that discourse. Mm -hmm. yeah. But we need to package it a little bit differently. And so to me, it's critical that we have good liberal arts deeply mm -hmm. embedded within the professional programs. But we need to do that in a way that I think is probably packaged and articulated from a marketing perspective in more compelling ways. Yeah, but I like that. I appreciate that kind of both and approach because often these are pitted against each yeah. other somehow. And There's in fact, a lot in the world that's dualistic yeah. right oh, now yeah. that's problematic for me. So yeah. yes. no, and I, <laughs> I, I'm all about figuring out how we get integrate as opposed to create sort of these polar extremes. Yeah. I yeah. don't think it needs to exist that way. No. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, and, and even on the ground level at the university, we know, you know, for example, that uh, so many of these liberal arts programs and things like that, we know they do benefit from the fact that we're pulling in students in the health sciences and on these other areas. And like they, they might not have those opportunities if we weren't growing in these other ways, you know. So there's, there's that benefit of, of being diverse in, in, in the education that we offer here. Um, but there's also, I, I want that nursing student or that business student to have taken a class in art or literature and know that that's not just like fun, extra trivial knowledge, but actually useful when they're at the bedside of a patient and they, they think, they learn to think differently. Uh, that's the, the real value of a liberal arts education yeah. is not even just the information that is passed along, but how you begin to shape your view of the world and who we are as human beings and how we interact with each other, what is meaningful in life, what's not meaningful in life, what is worth getting uh, kind of bent out of shape about, what's not worth right. getting bent out of shape no, about. I, I couldn't agree that, so. more. I think you're exactly right. And I think if you were to have courses in the health sciences without discussions of spirituality and ministry and what does it mean to be ethical and what is good or what is right for this person or what is beauty i yeah. mean these are questions that fundamentally can shift the experience of someone can help bring healing to them mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. ken has been working in hospice for some time mm -hmm. now my husband and he will tell you that oftentimes bringing in literature mm -hmm. poetry music mm -hmm. art is a wonderful way for people to connect in a way that doesn't feel threatening or but that invites them into imagining or creating or mm -hmm. just a healing process that we might not even fully understand, mm -hmm. but that they value. So to your point, I think there's immense power in the integration. Mm -hmm. And so that's I exciting. Turn this on Meg a little bit. Oh, uh, boy. <laughs> how do you, as, as a soon-to-be graduating Ooh. senior from St. Ambrose University, I'm not sorry. to stress Yay. you out even yeah. further. <laughs> Vein but I mean, out over, looking back over the four years, how do you feel like the university has kind of provided that experience for you? Now, granted, you're a history major, so you're already kind of in one of the liberal oh, arts, yeah. and history gets to touch on everything, which is so cool about history. Um, but you know, how 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 did I the knew, how did I knew the I liked her. Worlds? I didn't yeah. realize you know we I didn't know it was history, but that's my undergraduate oh, degree. Just, so I wish like, I could be here another year. We're we connected, Meg. We're Mine connected well, already. History, okay, okay. History right and no, philosophy. This is but our yes. moment, Father Tom. Let us have our moment. History okay. majors unite. <laughs> 
stop trying to insert yourself in here no no that's no i'm glad you turned it on me but um so yeah everything you've said is is so true i think the liberal arts just you know people come here and they're taking you know they might their major might be nursing and they're taking a theology class and it could be so easy to ask why why do i need to know this i just need to get through this class as a requirement but i have friends that are nursing majors with a theology minor and i think the more we know and maybe this is the teacher talking but the more we know the more we are better able to relate to people and i think a lot of professions you need that you know people skills you need Mm -hmm. those social skills and i think you're gonna have more to talk about you know if you can relate to them on different levels and i think that's a big part of the liberal arts too is just like being able to go out into the world as a full-fledged fully formed thinker Mm -hmm. that can pull from so many different disciplines um when talking to other people. Mm-hmm. So yeah, was that a good enough answer? That's, yeah, that's good. That was really that's good. good. Oh, so. thanks. Yeah. We're bros. And then of course, <laughs> as a chaplain, I always think of the, the faith component of that too. And you know, the, the, the fact that our chapel is in the middle of our campus, right. you know, yeah. and that I think of it almost like that, the heart muscle kind of right. circulating the blood yeah. throughout this body. And, and, um, and I, I like that kind of circulatory image for, for mm-hmm. what we're trying to do in, in campus mm-hmm. ministry and kind of oxygenate, uh, you know, the blood here yeah. uh, and, and, uh, or get that distributed to the various parts of the body. But the, um, and of course, that's an analogy that the church uses all the time, the body of Christ yeah. and all of that. But I think, I think even too of you know we, we use sometimes that motto in, in campus ministry of faith learning justice and to kind of carve out one piece of it is inadequate somehow right. you know like we can do a lot of learning here and that is a very good thing mm-hmm. but if it's not directing us to something even higher okay maybe it's lacking something and if it's not directing us to do what is right uh, by our neighbor in terms of justice then again we've kind of missed the point of it you know mm-hmm. so right. all, mm-hmm. all three of those things absolutely well, even like um i think about like i'm catholic i've been catholic you know my whole life coming here there's stuff i didn't know about my own you know my own faith and taking those theology classes you know i'm from a small town so it's pretty you know by the book everything not not that we're not abstractly thinking about stuff but we're really i don't remember you know abstractly thinking about a lot of stuff within theology but i think taking those classes about things that i thought i already knew and learning new things that was like oh my gosh you know i'm filling up that bucket a little bit more right because i thought it was already full so yeah and you're you're getting a more in-depth appreciation of it you're exploring you're asking why and you're wrestling with faith is not always easy no and you're getting the tools to figure out how to do that and to wrestle with it and be comfortable in t- that tension sometimes because i think there's tension sometimes right. if we're honoring our faith right um there can be some tension in that and that's okay that means it's probably at work i'm glad to hear <laughs> right. too that experience you talk about meg of like re- i thought i knew this and then i came right. you know yeah. like that while that is kind of um it can be a jarring experience for students, but it's also kind of a liberating experience, I mm-hmm. think, and it, it allows you to, it gives you the freedom to say, I, I don't know, you right. know, um, right. but um, I want to know more. Right. And, and and maybe that's one of the, the biggest benefits, you know, that we can give to our students is that realization that they don't know everything. Right. <laughs> that's good too, right. you know, yeah. um, because that will keep them hungry and seeking. Right. Right. And, um, and asking more questions. Exactly. I think, the older we get, maybe the more we realize what we don't know, right? Like this becomes even more magnified and you're like, wow, I had never thought of it from that perspective or exactly. that's a new approach to this or that's enlightening in a way I hadn't considered. Yeah. So 
I was this thinking is lifelong too, learning, right? You're, yeah. you know, graduating soon and, and starting Stop your first job. That. I know, I know. I just quit it. it no. so, um, I'm here forever. Wheel, come back for graduate school. I but I yes. give you some options there. I think a lot of our seniors, <laughs> especially, have this idea that okay, with this transition, then you know, this kind of idea of adulting, you know, and there's yeah. like there's some kind of I think, frankly, a myth that that ends at some point. Mm-hmm. I bet Dr. Novak would say the same as I would. Like, no, I feel like I'm still doing that. You know, and, yeah. and the example I always give is like when I came here as chaplain four years ago, I realized that some of those professors and, and people on staff and faculty here that I most looked up to when I was a student and who are still here, they were the age then that I am now. And I thought they had it all together. <laughs> And now when I come here and I'm the age that they were when I was a student, I'm like, there's no way they had it all together. No way. Like they were still, they were, you know, trying to just keep a couple steps ahead of me and they're figuring out as they go along too a little bit. And that's, you know, so get used to it, Meg, is what I'm saying. Yeah. No, I think about like all my, you know, my babysitters and my older cousins that were in college and I'm like, wow, they're really doing it. They're doing it. They're adults. But then now me being in college, mm-hmm. almost out of college, I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't know anything. <laughs> you know, I still need to ask for help, which I think is something like we really need to touch yeah. more on, you know, is it's okay to ask for it's help. Okay. You're not going to be, I love asking for help. You know, <laughs> yeah. my colleagues at school are people that I lean on all the time. And I think that's also helped taking it back to the liberal arts, you know, being able to communicate with people. Yeah. Um, something and having really, a community of yeah. people with whom you can communicate oh, yeah. is really important. I think especially post-pandemic, we can really oh, yeah. look and reflect on the value of community and how that calibrates us and informs us and, and allows us to ask questions. And so I hope our young people come through this and say, I value being with people more than oh, ever, yeah. you mm-hmm. know, despite sometimes what the technology is good at doing but sometimes not as good at doing and that i'm always hopeful that they can leave with a sense of community and know that people are there to calibrate them to answer questions to help inform them so i was this is probably a whole separate podcast for another day but just i've been putting my brain to this too for stuff with the diocese but basically answering that question of you know how do we emerge from this? And it's it's got to be something different than going back to where mm-hmm. we were because there were things that were not great before, you exactly. know? Exactly. How do we do this better? And so I've been looking at that, you know, mostly from a kind of a church perspective, but from the university's perspective, how mm-hmm. do we emerge from the pandemic and not just like, okay, we're back to usual. No, like right. how do we emerge from this better, stronger, right. better, different. Cre- different, you know? Right. In, what's essential what to our value? dna exactly you know, what do we value and what what can we maybe schlep off and say oh that wasn't that great yeah. right or this is better yeah i don't know i do i do yeah. think there's some powerful opportunities for us to rethink some things that we may have had assumptions about or ways yeah. we behaved that help post pandemic allows us to open doors and maybe try things differently or or value things differently than what we may have done this in the past. This is definitely so. a moment, you know, that you know, <laughs> we, we have to kind yeah. of seize upon. And I, there can be some maybe false pressure to have it figured out, too, at least, you know, in the next few months or in the next year. You know, no, I think this is going to be an evolving process, and some of it's going to require experimentation, which will inevitably require failure and mm-hmm. learning from oh, yeah. failure Absolutely. and getting back up. And, okay, yeah. well, let's see where else this goes. But, mm-hmm. you know, that's... Mm-hmm. 
I've been doing uh, for my own studies a lot of like studying on adaptive leadership models and stuff like that. This is this is right where we are. Right for the time. Yeah, yeah. I actually spoke at the National Honor Society banquet for my daughter, who's a senior. The the school called and said, "Would you give us a?" And I said, "Well, okay." And they called and said, what's the topic? And I said, I'm going to talk about failure <laughs> to the National Honor Society. <laughs> to NHS, right? yeah. But the point of it was there's a powerful learning that happens yeah. in failure. And sometimes those of us who maybe came through school and we were pretty good at it, and it's hard for us to fail. And yet that's sometimes such a critical part of the learning process. So how we respond to failure really matters. Yeah. Yeah. And I think as we come through something even like this, yeah. we're there. We're an evolve. I mean, our faith is evolving. We're an evolving church in many respects. It's okay for us to evolve and to recognize that this is evolutionary. It's organic. Yep. Some of it's going to work. Some of it will take us in directions we didn't even think possible. Yep. Um, but let's see where that takes us. Yeah. I mean, and, and frankly, in higher ed, that's what we should be about, yep. right? I mean, this it, is yeah. if we're talking about lifelong learning and we're talking about being able to sort of envision something radically different or new or new knowledge creation. We need mm-hmm. to get comfortable with change, mm-hmm. and that's not always easy because there's fear in that, yeah. and there's a, a vulnerability in that. Mm-hmm. And um, but yet, sometimes the most exciting opportunities emerge in our vulnerabilities, or in those moments mm-hmm. of weakness, or when we have to rely on our neighbors to help us out, or yeah. our roommates to help us out, or you know, we have to consult with some people rather than just think that we ourselves know what that right answer is. I like the idea a little bit too that maybe. Um, especially, you know, what we're about is providing a safe place for people to fail. Yeah, yeah. I I say that a lot Um, to students and I say it to parents. Yeah. Yeah. Having grown up in an entrepreneurial family, my dad always said, if you have three of your 10 businesses succeed, that's a good, that's a good ratio. Now I don't, you know, that makes me a little bit nervous, (laughs) but it was kind of true. Like we would have things and I'd be like, oh my gosh, this isn't going to work. But the gift of that insight was that it encouraged us even as young children to just kind of accept that failure was going to be part of the routine but it wasn't it went right alongside with risk taking right Mm -hmm. and that you wanted to make good decisions and guided decisions and hopefully most of them worked but some wouldn't and so you had to learn from that um, to some degree but that's sometimes hard with faculty or with students especially those who are really high performing and yeah Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But how do you pick yourself back up if you've been the football lineman that's been knocked down eleven times? You get back up mm-hmm. if you've if you've got that grit and resiliency yeah. about you. So, well, I want to know a little bit more too about your own like personal hobbies, interests, or anything um, that you like to read or watch. That you know, a little insight into. Yes, so I'm an avid reader. Um, Mm -hmm. I I read a lot. I just read this book on people in Kurdistan, which was fascinating. I I haven't done a lot of reading on people in the Middle East, and I wish I could tell you the title of the book, but I can't. It just was on my Kindle Mm -hmm. first reads. But Mm -hmm. anyway, it was a good book. Um, I finished... um, the Pope's book, Let Us Dream, which mm-hmm. his three COVIDs, I thought was a really, you know, these his discussion of his own personal COVID and mm-hmm. really helped me reflect on how we emerge from this. Um, I've been doing a lot of reading on change. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> In part, just because how do you sort of work through systems and organizations and how do we do that well? How do we help people shift behaviors, mm-hmm. not just mindset, but actual behaviors? Yeah. I think that's hard work. Yeah. So I, I tend to read a lot of history and nonfiction, but um, 
yeah, what I, I yeah. just love to read. It's my sort of go-to thing. But I'm also kind of a board game geek, so I have to confess, oh, I yes. went over to the library, <laughs> and there's like, check out your own board games. Yes. And I'm like, Oh, oh, this is I good. have found a little place of you home here. You are talking my language. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And, uh, so you name yeah. it, Catan he, or Dominion oh or Size oh, or... <laughs> don't get him started. He has a... Tell him the name of your board game room. Yeah, well, it's more of a You have closet. a board game room? He used to at his old house. So in my old house, I called it the nerdery. Um, oh, it was, yeah, it was, it was a small little house. And it was like, yeah, it was my, it was my yeah. board game collection. So, I love it. So what's um, your favorite? You'd oh have my god! Well, actually, like right now, I could probably answer like one called Wingspan. I've been oh yes, yes. Now we haven't tried it yet, oh, but my um, really good game. My Solid brother game. just got it. Got it for his kids. Said just loves it. But it's like the top family ranked board oh, yeah. game right now. Yeah, yeah. And it's you know it's in gamers. <laughs> I can't believe it. It's a little crunchy. <laughs> this is such a niche conversation. It's a little crunchy. <laughs> it's a little crunchy, and by crunchy that means there, yeah. there are some you know bits and bobs you got to kind of pay attention to, and lots of little rules. But it actually, the game flow is pretty simple. It's not that it's easy to pick up sure but it's just a really well-designed game so that's why it's so good so that's um there's another one from that same game company called viticulture which is about winemaking i really like right now there's one called parks uh that i just got uh, that i so me and some of my priest buddies we've been in this hobby for about like uh 15 years or something like that and so we're constantly you know that's that has been our perennial or our weekly day off thing generally is to get together and play board games so and go to board game conventions and then when i came here as chaplain like you know you do you, you use what you're interested in to do ministry and so like we'd be on an Antioch retreat it. and I would bring my bag of board games or yeah. we would you know and so I inflicted board games on the students here yep. as well um, as chaplain. he cheats so no I'm just yeah really nope. good <laughs> he's <know>. a cheater um, <laughs> we like to play sushi go sushi oh, go he's sushi good. Go yep father good tom cheats at sushi yeah. go okay. um he also cheated one time against me actually i don't think you cheated at sushi go i think you cheated um at exploding kittens it's actually, exploding kittens um, has to I be cheat. in the repertoire Not intentionally. <laughs> well he did uh-huh and um, i haven't forgotten so well, you know, practice makes perfect. We can hash it out later. Um, <laughs> oh my gosh! But yeah, yeah but no, we used to have like pizza and Father oh, yeah, we did. Tom pizza board game Padre. night that we would have okay, in the hall. We might have to invite you back. Yeah, well, because, absolutely. Oh yeah, he's not we'll going far. We'll invite your cadre of priests over to our house because. So here's the big discussion in our house. We I count it. We have 54 board games we're trying to move, and I'm like, Ken, I think this has become a little excessive. And he's mm-hmm. like, you know what? He came to the library and goes. We're going to bring him. We can donate some to the library. Hey. And I'm like... <laughs> this is but true. He's... Yeah. And our, our um, Elijah, our seventh child, I mean, he's just... He... He, I, okay, I've been playing. Mem- Do you know Memoir 44? It's this. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's okay. It's kind two of a player, battle, two player, player battle game, right? Two yeah, I'm like, yeah. can the British ever win? Can the, I mean, the I've played the Allies most of the time. I'm yeah. like, can we ever win? I'm, you know, I had a yeah. Finnish <laughs> ski team that yeah. I had to, you know, I got them for Christmas, this special <laughs> expansion pack. And I'm like, I'm going to win with the Finnish ski team. Oh, no. Oh, no. So they good. took me out. I, I mean, it. it was crazy. So we play. A lot of board games. This is very and cool. And it's a great, 
It's a great hobby. It's a great pastime. I love well, it. Well, I already strategy. thought you were going to be a great president. Uh, yeah. but now so, I know you are going to be a so great president. So we'll have to have so. you over for a little bit of board game. And I, yeah, I Ken it. will be in, in, you know, he'll just be thrilled to know that there awesome. are people here playing board games. Oh, yeah. I <laughs> so will, you can have uh, whoever's in your new mix here. We'll invite I'll them over. I'll let you know so the good game stores locally. Yeah. And, yes, yes. yes. And then, you know, yeah. do you watch, Do you go to Board Game Geek and you, yes. you watch the videos of how to play these yes. games? Yes, and I also look at their ratings. <laughs> Ratings to yes, see. Yeah. So do we. Yeah. Yeah. What's in the top ten? Every Christmas we go through this. <laughs> Megan's just over here laughing. Tom keeps looking at me like this is a. Can you believe it? I can't believe <laughs> She's it. Speaking my language. Oh, so yeah, that's Very a good. hobby. I that do cycling. Okay. Uh, I like to bicycle. Um, I quilt. I do a lot of quilting. Oh my gosh, so. respect. Quilting's hard. It is. It, it, it's like a quilt takes 10 years because yeah. I'm pretty busy. But um, I don't know. There's something about it. Nobody talks back. It turns out as planned. Yep. You follow the directions. Yeah. And it's usually a beautiful bike. I cross-stitch. That's about oh, that's all good. I can do. That's yeah. Impressive. I love it. It's so calming. Except it's when you like prick your about. finger and you're like, oh. Yeah. But no yeah i can yeah. almost sew a button on my shirt or pants when i need right. to see this is where so. this is where it divides yeah okay. yeah yep yep <laughs> but well, i am very grateful for that. yeah stick to the board games tom yeah well it has been an absolute pleasure to have you mm-hmm. on the the podcast i'm glad we could do this before you're even officially begun but i know you're back here a lot and to yeah. be able to do this in person in the studio distanced and masked as we always have been yeah. during this pandemic time but even greater to be able to yeah. to, to see you in person absolutely so. it's been a thrill to be here and i'm really like I said, it just again today as I was walking across campus, I just thought this feels like home. I, I feel really good to be here and grateful yeah. for the opportunity and excited to meet people like Megan and she's going to continue to outrun me and I'll just cheer <laughs> her on. Yeah, if <laughs> so you want anyway. two weeks of 10K, if you want to hop oh, on, no, Coach just, Tomlin yeah. and Coach uh, Jansen will enter you if yeah. you want. You can <laughs> don the, the jersey. meter runner and the mile. That was oh, kind boy. of my, that was my zone. That was it. Yeah, nothing beyond. Well, respect, That's yeah. those are hard races. I don't know. I think what you're doing <laughs> puts it at a whole nother level. Oh, so good luck. That. Good luck at all of the upcoming track Thank and you. field Yeah, events. we appreciate your support. We yeah, no, it's been fun. It's been fun to watch you and been virtually at least and i will be anxious to see them in person so yeah. very good yeah absolutely well thanks for your Wonderful. time absolutely and megan i'll let you bring us home because last time i did it, i totally botched it so you, you go did. for it you beefed it all mm-hmm. right <laughs> may the faith be with you and with your spirit take care everybody have a good week mm-hmm.